Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. We are on the river. We're on the Colorado River. Uh, We have put in this morning and have been floating. I've got two guys from Mintern Anglers in the boat. I've got Nate Diamond who has been rowing and I've got Justin Noland who's up in front. Uh, Justin is the manager. Uh, behind the scenes, a lot of behind the scenes stuff, and you work primarily the shop in Denver, correct? Correct. Double duty uh, manager as well as uh, buyer, if you will. Right on. And we've got Nate Diamond behind the oars, and Nate told me that he had, it's, uh, let me say, it's July 23rd, and Nate has not had a day off since June 15th. That's correct. And probably will not have a day off till about the 25th of August when archery elk season <laughs> starts. <laughs> well, guys, it's awesome to have you. Um, you guys invited me out uh, to go fishing, and I appreciate that. I've never floated this section of the Colorado. We put in at a place called Pump House, and we're taking out where at, Nate? Down at Rancho Del Rio. Rancho Del Rio. So we started out. They had me, Nate had me fishing a... Uh, hopper dropper and caught a few fish and Justin was just up there ripping lips with a indicator <laughs> and a Pat's rubber leg and um, now I do have to add he's been ripping lips of all species of fish we've got white fish I think we've got the full uh, super slam we've got white fish we've got suckers we've got uh, brown trout rainbow I had a rainbow on yeah pretty awesome we're right here on the banks of the river. Guys, I want to ask you a little bit about what you guys do. Justin, I'll start with you. You're the manager, and you kind of run a lot of this operation at Minturn Anglers. Talk a little bit about Minturn Anglers, how you got connected, and where, where Minturn Anglers is at and resides and conducts business. Absolutely. Uh, Minturn Anglers started in 2008 up here in the valley. Um, started out as a guide outfit. Um, in about approximately 2013 we uh, expanded into a full-service retail shop and now we uh, have two locations we operate out of Denver and out of uh, Minturn as our parent shop Um, full-service retail shop at both locations and we primarily guide on the Eagle and the Colorado River up here in the valley and uh, we also do full-service guiding uh, down on the South Platte River on the Front Range if you guys hear some distant yelling and screaming and what have you, we've got some cliffs. We kind of just floated through the main part of the canyon and uh, we've got some cliff divers over here. We've got somewhat of a bikini hatch, but I think they're probably in the sub 50 range. So we, we definitely are keeping our distance. But every once in a while they'll jump up there and jump off one of those rocks. And Nate, you guys actually, we've been eating lunch here You've actually spotted a couple rising fish right here, uh, kind of in this in this back eddy. Yeah, looking at a real good fish that I just saw feed just a minute ago. Brown trout. <clears throat> yep, it appears to be, anyways. Tell us a little about about yourself. You also live in uh, Michigan and from Michigan, and you guide out here, and then you also guide back in um, Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, so I came out here. Uh, I've been here for four years. Um, one of our other guides, actually Alex Forsberg, he grew up about 10-15 minutes from me and the original owner of Minturn Anglers was floating up in Michigan and ran into him one day and a couple years later I got the call and I headed out and been enjoying every minute of it and then I uh, made uh, October, I'm usually here, kind of right the end of May, October 1st, I head out, then I head to Ohio and guide whitetail deer hunting. So your whitetail deer, we've been talking as we're floating, um, you guys have some giant deer, your, your guiding operation, you guys, well you've grown up hunting whitetails, but you primarily right. guide uh, archery whitetail hunters in Ohio, right? Yep. You, you and a partner or two? Yeah, my cousin and one of our pretty good friends down in the area. Right on. And so... I mean, is, is the Ohio hunting that, sh- that you guys have, is that your typical, you know, Midwest, you know, I guess your eastern part of Midwest, but I mean, is it your typical giant bucks, set up tree stands, figure all the strategies and tactics of where they're crossing and where they're chasing does and what have you? 
Yeah, we're uh, you know we're hunting food, big clover plots, cornfields, edges of bean fields, wood lines. Um, where we're at down there in southern Ohio, it's I guess you could call it the southernmost part of the Appalachian Mountains. So it is hills, not mountains. There's a lot of agriculture, a lot of farm fields, and there's some big deer. Focus on archery specific or do you guys also do muzzleloader or i mean is it all archery deer hunting so right now we're just doing archery uh, we're trying to keep it small kind of local in the area really focus on our goal is 16 clients a year and that's try kind of our game plan right now and uh, one day we might venture out and do some late season muzzleloader is usually first of December in that time frame. Um, so, yeah, right now we're sticking with the archery. Primarily all rut hunts, you know, focused around that time period of the rut, or do you also do some velvet hunts in early season? No, we, uh, right now, this year we're doing third and fourth week of October, and then first and second weekend of November, four guys a week. Tell me the difference a little bit when you've got, um, you know, that some of that pre-rut action, the, the third and fourth week, week of October. Depending on weather and stuff, it can be just as good as right during the peak of the rut, can it? Yeah, uh, um, you know, you can always, it's always right around that first week, last week of October, first week of November. You know, after them bucks really start getting locked down with those does, it can actually be a little tougher. So I would I would prefer to hunt them pre-rut rather than post-rut. Okay. You always have that chance though when you're hunting the rut that they break away from some does and go look for some others and walk right underneath you though as well. Oh yeah, yeah it does happen. Yeah. Justin, tell us a little bit about how you kind of made the transition from your your other business and and line of work into uh working with mentor anglers or yeah. into the fly fishing industry and then to mentor anglers you know very very non-traditional um was always enamored with fishing growing up and in, in college i got my first fly rod i uh, went to college in virginia and was chasing smallmouth and brookies in the shenandoah valley um absolutely loved fly fishing uh would take a trip out west every year and Growing up in Maryland, I would almost be depressed coming home to Maryland. I, I missed the Rocky Mountains and, and western fishing. And in 2000, end of 2012, I moved to Colorado and did what I thought everyone should do when they get out of college and uh, got a job uh, as a wealth manager, wearing a tie every day. And it just didn't, after 10 years of doing that, it, one day I was looking out my office and knew I needed to make a transition. Uh, Got in touch with the guys at Umqua Feather Merchants and uh, asked them to take a chance on me, and they did. And I actually started out as a uh, internal sales rep, uh, managing Virginia to Maine. Um, did that for four years, and had a buddy working at Minturn Anglers, and everything just kind of fell into place. And started as the shop manager in Denver, and have been with Minturn Anglers for five years now. Minturn Anglers, um, I've kind of been in this uh, Eagle River Valley, let's call it, you know. Uh, just to let the listeners know where we're talking, uh, we're right off of I-70, uh, so we would be west of Denver, uh, west of the metro, metroplex, if you call, if you will. Um, right on I-70, uh, you come over I Eisenhower Pass and Vail Pass, mm -hmm. and you drop into Vail. Uh, then you just keep going down I-70, and right there, I think it's Highway 6, you would turn, and I think Minturn's two miles off of I-70, um, but I've kind of been in the, I'm now in the Roaring Fork Valley, but I've spent a lot of time in the Vail Valley and the Eagle River Valley. And, um, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, I remember when Minturn Anglers kind of came on the scene and, um, it's, it's been really, uh, also cool to see how much of the market share that you guys have been able to, to, to get and the business that you've been able to create and, and, um, you know, you've got a great Instagram page, you've got a bunch of great guides, and, and so my hat's off to you guys for, you know, really kind of cracking into a, 
a market that's pretty tough because there's already you know some pretty well established uh, guide services and you guys have done a great job absolutely i mean i think it's just a testament to the passion that everyone at this company has for fly fishing in general and then for being an example on the river um something we don't take lightly um you know we were voted by years of Vale daily as the best fly shop in the valley two of the last three years uh definitely something we hang our hat on and strive for year in and year out um we just want to give our clients the best experiences we can on the river i remember going this is probably dating back four or five years ago but i used to we used to stay in the mountain or the Vale village there and I would go to the farmer's market and you guys would always have a, a booth there. And I remember always talking with different guys and just real friendly people, but, you know, really putting a foot forward, trying to, trying to get out there and, you know, um, it's, it's just, I'm a businessman. I, I have several different businesses, but it's always nice to see, you know, a company, you know, striving to, to capture business. And you guys have done a good job with that. Thank you. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the waters um, that you guys fish, Nate. Uh, you, you fish the Eagle and you fish the Colorado and the Forks. Um, talk a little bit about the permitting and, and some of your favorite water that you like uh, to fish. So we're primarily uh, as a float guide on the Eagle in Colorado. From On the Colorado, we're going from Pump House down to State Bridge for our permits. On the Eagle, we have it all the way down to Dot Sarah with duck punts. I would say my favorite water to guide is in that lower gypsum area. Um, that's kind of where I make my bread and butter in the summer. In the Colorado, I come up here when I can. The fishing's been great. Finally coming down, the bugs are just starting to hatch. Uh, you know, that water's just starting to touch 57, 58 degrees on the Eagle. We're starting to see some caddis finally. <clears throat> up in the upper runs and starting to get pretty good. PMD's been coming off noon to one o'clock on the Eagle. It's kind of slowed up a little bit. And then on the Colorado, it's just, we're waiting on it to drop a little bit. We're starting to look, seeing a few PMDs flying around right now. A couple caddis bouncing, we saw this morning. Yeah. It's getting good. Yeah, and you know, as the water comes down, it's it's amazing to see this year compared to last. I mean, we basically have two polar opposite years. Last year was just extremely dry. I want to say the Eagle was like done floating by the 15th of July. It was just done, I yeah, think. Yeah, at least. Um, or maybe even sooner. Yeah. And really, the Eagle's just kind of starting floating. I know you guys have been floating some of the lower stretch, but I was looking at the upper stretch uh say from you know when we're talking upper stretch we're talking like about from edwards uh you know down to a place they call climbing rock which is down by walcott you know it it's still fast the pockets haven't really opened up um for dry fly fishing it's still pretty swift and fast yeah uh, i think we were when we looked this morning it was around 1300 um i like i said to you earlier i really like that 800 to a thousand and I know you like it even lower. Yeah. Well, you know, part of my liking it lower is the guides kind of, you guys kind of pull off when it gets to a certain level. I think right. that's around 300 or so. Mm -hmm. Just because of the Colorado rules of not touching bottom and what have you. Not that the commercial trips have to play to a higher standard every, that everyone should, but I think you guys just across the board in the valley as, as a guide business, you kind of have a set threshold and you guys kind of pull off of that. But that's when you kind of take over floating the Colorado and doing a ton of wade trips on the Eagle as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like you were talking about last year, we were off the river by one every day and it was tough. Yeah. Our wade trips, our float trips, everything. Because the water temperature, can, right? Yeah, water temp, the water level. It was getting, I mean, we were probably touching 70 degrees down here on the Colorado for two months. Yeah. And uh, it's just not good for trout. This year, you know, the fish are happy. We got plenty of water, but those wade trips, that's where it's getting tough. You yeah. know, people want to wade sometimes, and we just haven't been able to do them yet, but it's coming into it here real soon that the wade fishing is going to get really good. Right and on. And this Colorado River, it's, it's going to shine. Yeah, so we've got a boat going by us right now. Looks like you guys are just getting done netting a fish. Do you? We'll trade you. 
Okay. <laughs> so what should we expect uh, for this afternoon uh, out here on the Colorado? It's probably 145 right now. And uh, there's kind of mixed clouds, a lot of blue sky, but there's kind of some bigger, bigger clouds kind of around. Uh, what do you anticipate? Yeah, I mean, we're kind of in the heat of the day. Uh, should be good as long as these clouds cover it up a little bit like they are. We're going to streamer fish for a little bit, um, probably around 4 or 5 o'clock. We should get a little bit of topwater bite, be able to throw some dry flies, maybe some hopper dropper. We're going to run the next section, which is radium down to Rancho. Uh, there's one pretty good, pretty good rapid in there, and then a lot of slow water where we'll be able to do a lot of different techniques and try some different stuff. That's one thing I've seen today is, I mean, we've caught fish virtually on, uh, we haven't thrown like small micro dries and small caddis and PMDs yet, but we've, we've thrown all, we've caught fish on pretty much everything we've thrown, yeah. different rigs and setups. Um, and, and as you can probably hear in the background, it's also a great river for recreation for just to, you know, like uh, pleasure boaters and, and rafters and what have you. Uh, but the, you know, it's just a beautiful setting. We've just kind of floated through the canyon stretch. Sounds like we've got another little canyon stretch to go through. Um, to me, it looks like hopper water, but Nate tells me <laughs> that um, maybe in three weeks. Yeah, we're we're a little early for hoppers. Uh, he's telling me that the hoppers spend a lot of time up high, and then they end up later in the season here. They'll migrate uh, more down by the river. So he's saying kind of mid-August type type weather. And then is it pretty, I mean, probably not during the heat of the day, but, you know. Yeah, your mornings and your evenings can be pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Right on. Well, guys, we'll probably do some fishing. Uh, we might try and record some on the run, but I uh, appreciate you guys listening. I uh, appreciate you guys inviting me out. Uh, this has been a blast so far. And uh, I've seen some other Minturn guides going by. Seems like everybody's catching fish and having a good time. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's finish lunch and see what, make a plan, huh? Yeah, let's go tear them up. Okay. Let's do it. Dreamers. And um, Nate, we've gone with several different colors of streamers here. And we've got pretty much bright sunshine. My question for you is... Uh, for the listeners out there wanting to learn streamer fishing, when you have bright sunny days, typically what color streamers do you kind of go with? As you see, uh, you know, they're really attacking the yellow, the whites we're throwing. It seems like those brighter colors are always work brighter on them brighter days. And I think that goes as far as water clarity too. When that water's darker, I'm throwing darker flies. Water's light and clear. Or just like this on a sunny day, I'm throwing brighter colored flies. And I feel like it attracts some more. I've got a question about, um, I notice you're uh, running your own leaders and you, you tie your own leaders. Why is a leader, well, I'm fishing a sink tip. In your opinion, streamer fishing, uh, do you think a sink tip is better than a floating line? Or do you think it matters? Uh, T talk to me a little bit about floating line versus sink tip. Yeah, so on that, uh, on that, I believe in, depends on your water depth. I, I think a fish that's within, you know, five to eight feet of water, you don't necessarily need a sink tip. But I also believe that, you know, fishing these deeper canyons like we're in today, that fly getting down quicker uh, more in their face, it's going to attract them better instead of having them to have to come up six feet to eat that fly. Um, and with that leader, I build my own. I taper them out a little quicker. Um, Store-bought leaders, they work great. They have their purpose, especially for dry fly fishing, fishing top water. But just like with that sink tip, I want that fly to get down as quick as possible. So I'm tapering my leaders out quicker so that that big belly section in that line isn't so fat and holding that fly up in the water column. We're fishing in bright sunshine right now, but obviously if you were fishing early morning or later evening, is there anything that you would be doing different or any type of strip or, or strategy in, a, in an early morning or late evening strategy fishing streamers rather than bright sunshine? Uh, that more or less the water conditions as far as the water being slower or quick riffles 
um, and these big slow recirculators like some of the stuff we fish today I want the, I, I like to strip them flies slow and real long strips and then pause long strips pause and then quicker faster riffles I want it moving number one I don't want to lose my fly on the bottom so I'm gonna keep that moving the entire time off the bank I noticed a couple times today we threw streamers both Justin and I up into the brush and get them kind of snagged up when you first make your initial cast and it and it hangs up do you give it a yank what do you do do you strip set you know do you strip it with your hand or do you yank the rod tip to try and like get it out of that you know brush that's a foot off the shore into the water how do you handle that when you throw it a little long the first thing i do is try to pull it off slow um, i don't want too much slack out there in the boat to get 10 yards down below it to where the person rowing can't stop and get that fly and retrieve it so that we lose it but i want to pull it off slow to try and drop it into my spot that i hit wanted to hit originally earlier today we were fishing an indicator and we had uh, multiple nymphs uh, on and i noticed um, you run your weights a little bit different than the old traditional way of you know running your weights up high and having all the flies down low i noticed you were running some weights kind of between flies and such what's your reasoning on your weight distribution where you know the different places you're putting weights and why do you do that so that weight you know if we put it all in one spot that creates one pivot point if we put it in several spots you know if we have two three four weights on there i could create four different pivot points if i spread them a couple inches apart so then, you know, if I have a bad mend or just have a little bit of drag on that fly, those different pivot points of that weight holding up that line is going to make that drift look more presentable to the fish. So in that case, are you saying that the, those fish are right on the bottom? What about if fish get suspended? Will you change your weight up in that, in that situation or will you just change your indicator uh, depth by moving the indicator down so it's shorter? I usually change my weight based on the water speed also. Um, you know, if we're fishing real shallow water where my flies are going to be down anyways, I'm not going to run a bunch of weight. I usually try to stick to fishing certain water types throughout the day so that I don't have to change a bunch and I spend more time fishing. Um, with that bobber, the indicator, I will run a lot deeper sometimes on these bigger pools, run a little bit of weight, but I usually don't change my weight a bunch. And it's still going to sink just as fast. It's all about getting that good mending. Let's talk a little bit about dry fly fishing. Um, we haven't done, we did a little dry dropper, and we might not see much dry fly fishing, but you like to dry fly fish. What, what would you say some mistakes that people make when dry fly fishing, either wading or floating? Is there anything that jumps out at you that you see commonly whether it be drift or setup you know or presentation with dry fly fishing that would you know you could give some tips on what you see people doing that that uh, you would say don't do and try it like this you know one of the biggest mistakes i see people do is they don't see a fish eat right away that they think should you know they put it two foot up in front of his nose they got the perfect cast that fish doesn't eat and they yank it right back up out of the water put a big pop on the water make a big ripple and then they put that fish down a lot of times that fish might he might be on a cycle where he's feeding you know you can almost time fish if there's a lot of bugs you could time them to every three seconds they come up and eat a bug again and instead of pulling that cast up right away and popping that line right in front of his face or right behind him and spooking him just letting that swing by him lifting again and putting out another presentation speaking of um getting in a rhythm and timing and what have you you've got caddis you know here across the west you've got a lot of caddis you've got a lot of mayflies and caddis typically are a lot uh fluffier and they're just kind of fluttering around where you've got mayflies that are a little more consistent they're sitting on the water drying their wings talk about when you see rises what throws what makes you say that's a caddis rise that's a mayfly rise just by looking at the rise form uh you know i don't necessarily watch for that as much as i watch for how a fish is feeding whether it's a nose or a big splashy eat or that fish is coming out of the water um, if he's launching out of the water, that usually tells me he's eating an emerger, a bug that's, you know, turning into an adult. Um, 
and if I see a nose, just a little sip or a little bubble, a little gulp, that tells me that fish is most likely eating that fish right on top of the surface. If you're seeing those um, torpedo-like rises or you're seeing a lot of the dorsal fin and them coming up and going down, that immediately tells you they're um, eating the emerger. So do you change your tactic and put an emerger on behind the dry or what would you do in that situation? If you're not seeing noses, you're seeing more torpedo kind of submarining, what, what do you do? So a lot of times I'll still throw a dry on top and then like we, you mentioned, throw an emerger below, but I'll make sure that I'm swinging that out at the end of my drift. And I want to present myself to where that swing is, where those fish are coming out of the water eating them emergers. So that if I don't get that dry fly eat up top, that will swing down across the river and present itself as an emerger in front of that fish that's eating natural emergers. When you say swing at the very end of the drift, do you mean just kind of hold it in the let it rise up out, you know, kind of rise up and let it just sit there. And, and do you pause for just a second or is it a swing and then right into your cast? Uh, I'll cast it. Um, and sometimes I'll even just swing them. If I'm not getting any dry fly eats, I won't spend any time trying to get fish on the dry fly. If I see them launching up, I'll usually set myself up river about a 45 degree angle or so cast it down at that angle and just let it swing across the entire river until it's down to the bottom of me. I'll let it sit there for a minute. If nothing eats, I'll repeat that. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, it's about four o'clock guys. Um, we've been having uh, a great day. We've been fishing streamers uh, here the last couple hours and uh, we're uh, halfway through this uh, afternoon part of the float and it's uh, caught a lot of nice brown trout. So Stay tuned for more action here. Appreciate you guys listening. Guys, this next 40 minutes or so is going to be us mic'd up on the river fishing. So you'll get to hear some of the friendly banter back and forth. You'll get to hear uh, Nate directing us where to cast our flies and just general discussion uh, like what goes on in a boat on most float trips. So hope you enjoy it. Uh, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate your support. All right, guys, so it's 5.03. Um, we've been catching them on streamers. We've been catching them on nymph rigs. Did a little dry dropper this morning. Uh, we've got a couple miles down to the takeout, so we're going to fish. Uh, Justin's going to fish right now. He's got an indicator, got a couple nymphs going, and I'm going to continue to throw the streamer, and we'll just see if we can hook some fish here. Let's roll it, boys. Let's do it. Feeling the red and white bobber. It's all about the red and white, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna do it, you gotta do it right. I'm gonna go hey, over do to you find that side. like late in the day like this, do you expect the fish to be doing anything differently than they've done all day? Are they staging in a different spot or? I believe as we get closer to dark, they're going to be moving up closer to the banks and into the shallows as our bugs start coming out more. Are you expecting, what, a caddis hatch, or what are you expecting? Yes, tonight we should see some caddis. Okay. And which means also for the streamer, potentially, that moves them into the shallows. They'll be right, they'll also be looking for a streamer, right? Absolutely. They're looking for food. Some of my best days have been throwing a streamer underneath a hatch. Right during a hatch? Yep. Hit him. Oh, fish chased it all the way to the boat. And I went to lift it out and he bit at it, but I missed him. <laughs> There he is. Oh. There's a snipper flashing at me. Caddis coming. Caddis coming off. Caddis bouncing. Yep.
Nate, when you're fishing streamers, how important is it to get it really close to the bank on the cast? You know, I don't really know the science behind it, but it sure seems if we hit that bank, that fish is chasing it more. Um, I feel like if they, you know, them fish aren't right on the bank. I feel that if we're hitting it two or three feet off the bank, they're seeing it fall out of the sky then. Right. Whereas we hit on the bank. Almost as if it's We're coming. bringing it past them as it's, as it's swimming the entire time. Gotcha. Well, that looks good right there. Got a grassy undercut bank. Just looks awesome. There she is. Nice fish. fish. Nice. Rainbow? Rainbow. First rainbow of the day for me. Nice work, Justin. Nice. Good job, buddy. On the rubber legs. Good fish. Bottom. Bottom? Yeah. When it hit, I thought it was a fish the way it... Right. But it was the current kind of bouncing it. Fish followed it all the way to the boat. Nice. Once we drop through this, I'm gonna head right. Okay. Fish is following it. Brown came right off the bank. There he is. Nice. There you go. Good fish, Justin. Boy, he's yanking, isn't he? He's a nice fish. Go to the other side of the boat. I'm going to go into this eddy. Ah, buddy. That was a sweet take. Looks like he might have hit the hit the stone fly again. Oh, he gone. Oh, LDR. Real weedy in there. Justin, how many years have you been working for Mintern? I uh, started with Mintern in 20, end of 2014, I believe. 2014. Five years. And you were with Umqua how long before that? Uh, I was with Umqua for just under just under four years I believe. Gotcha. What brought you out west? Um good buddy from college. We used to come out here and fish. Any spring break we could. We would we'd come fish Colorado and then um had a really you know if you there was a fly shop in Maryland. Um, actually our GM um, is also from Maryland. He's he started at a, at a fly shop in on the Gunpowder River. Um, there was a really good core group of us, and a lot of us would fly out west every year and go fishing. We'd hit the Bighorn, hit the San Juan, and every time I came home, I just felt like home was 
not really home anymore. Yeah. So one year I just pulled the trigger and, and moved to Colorado. Nice. Um, fishing fueled that. Your years working with Umqua, how do you think it's helped you kind of managing and doing all the stuff you do with Mintern? Uh, my role at, Min at uh, Umqua was uh, I worked on the internal sales department as well as I was, because of my background in the East Coast, um, I was a I was a sales rep for the company. Um, I had a working relationship in my territory from Virginia to Maine, and it allowed me to see uh, the side, the manufacturer side. I assisted dealers uh, in writing their preseason orders. Yep. Um, so it, it gave me a really good understanding of not only how important it is for a fly shop to be well inventoried with flies, but having correct inventory, especially when you have a low water year or a high water year, mismanagement of that can really sink a fly shop. Yeah, because um, if you have too much in inventory that you've got to sit on a year, you're paying on that, correct? That and correct. that you're sitting on a lot of money, it could bury you. That is correct. And then there's the, you know, there's the other side of things too, is if you play it too safe, you run the risk of not being able to get flies and be reactive to the hatches. Sure. Um, but with that knowledge, that helped me understand some of the challenges that managers of shops face. And then when I stepped into the management role at Mintern Anglers, um, you know, I still had a lot to learn, but I had a working knowledge on, I had a working knowledge um, with some of the uh, aspects of how to keep a well-inventoried fly shop. And I would assume it's seasonal too, right? I mean, there's blue-winged olives. You got to have caddis. You, I mean, there's certain times of year when you got to have the right bugs uh, at the right time. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've got two different fisheries uh, between our shops. Um, the Denver shop is primarily uh, we call the South Platte River at Deckers our home water. That is a tailwater fishery. Um, it fishes well year-round. Uh, you know, it's relatively consistent flows uh, being fed from the dam. Um, is that Cheeseman? Yes, okay. that is correct. Um, comes out of comes out of Cheeseman there through the canyon. Um, fishes well year-round, um, so we have to be on top of the different the different uh, hatches and and bugs that are going to work at certain times of year there. Um, you know, being in Colorado, we are fortunate to be able to fish year-round. Right. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll start really ramping up inventory here in the spring. Start getting in the summer bugs. Um, try to be ahead of it by usually by 60 days. Um, you know, come wintertime, it's a it's a whole different ball game. Six X tippet, size 22 flies, a lot of midges under an indicator. Yeah. Talk about, I've uh, got a question for Nate, and then I'll re have you thinking about your answer, um, Justin. On years like last year where you have a dry year, fishing in June, and then it's pretty much, you know, it, it started getting tougher uh, because of the temperatures, and most of it's wade fishing and what have you. You, Nate, as a guide trying to plan your year, and you got to make your uh, hay while the sun's shining, um, you know, and then you've got a wet year like this where pretty much the month of June has been a lot slower than normal. How does that affect you on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, being a guide and, 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 you know, relying on a lot of that time frame for your income? Uh, you know, right now it's, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how it's complete opposite last year. With that low water, we had to be off the water by one. It was it was tough. Now I'm trying to make as much as I can, you know, as far as getting trips in while we can. With this high water, it's very fishable. It's a little high, harder to wade, but out of the boat perspective, we're trying to get as many trips out, as many people on the water as we can that want to get out and fish while it's good. Do you feel like, uh, as far as people wanting to get out and fish, I mean. Obviously, the 4th of July, it was pretty dang high water. 
are there not near as many tourists in town, uh, you guys, as, as normal? Uh, even though we've got great water, is there any, you know, thought that there's not as many people? They've already been here and gone and maybe couldn't fish near as much as they wanted? Or do you feel like because there's high water, people are going to come because they know the fishing's great? Yeah, I believe that, I mean, we've had definitely in July this year, we've been doing more trips than we did last year. And I'm seeing more people on the river too. Do you just think people were kind of holed up and now they're on, on go? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, Justin, from your end of the spectrum, you've got to get as many trips in as you can whenever that may be. But anytime you start having a situation where you have one month that's, you know, not, not really good, that can be a huge impact on a, on a fly shop. Yeah, I know. You know, you gotta. Oh, obviously, a you want to do what's right. You know, people come out and they want to fish. Um, you got to be a little bit forward thinking. You got to first and foremost. You know, last year was all about protecting the resource. You don't want to be as much as we wanted to be out here fishing all day. We had to do what was right for the fish. When temperatures start with low water and temperatures creeping up in the mid high 60s, low 70s. We want to be here year in and year out. We've right. got a fantastic resource right here. We don't want to harm that. Right. Uh, so last year was kind of managing expectations. It was a phenomenal fishing year. We were just out very early. Right. Um, this year with the high water, I, you know, you almost have to turn gears and then start thinking about in the early days of the summer and, and spring runoff, you know, client safety at the foreground at the forefront there. Um, with all that said, you're just adapting. Um, there's still great fishing to ha be had. Um, it Did just it may not up? be I what, so. okay. may just not be what the clients envisioned. Uh, we may not be standing in the middle of a river because um, they were high, but there's still great fishing to be had. And I think we had one of our, you know, down on the front range alone, I think we've been running on average 800 to 900 CFS we're finally dropping I believe we're in the 500s now but um, even with the high water we fit it was fishing really well yeah Nate what's the um, name of your guide service that you hunt in Ohio for big whitetails Ridgetop Outfitters you guys have a website we do not currently. Do you? How do you run it? Do you just have people call you, email you, Instagram? What is it? Yeah. So my cousin right now, we do have a Facebook page. Um, my cousin works for a pretty large bow shop in West Virginia, and that's kind of the biggest word of mouth for us right now in the area. As far as getting clients. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, we're we're keeping it small. 16 is our goal um, for this year. Four a week for four weeks. How does that work? Um, you know, as far as kind of walk through. Is it a five-day hunt, a seven-day hunt? Walk through how that, you know, a, a day in the life of that hunt goes. So we're doing six-day hunts. Okay. Um, we do not offer lodging. We are doing a six-day hunt. Lodging relatively easy nearby? Yeah, there's some... Oh, see that flasher? Look at him. Look at him. Uh, oh. I pulled it out. Pulled it right out. He was he hit it two different times. There is lodging nearby. Um, some hotels, motels. Where's the closest airport to fly into? Charleston, West Virginia. It's about an hour. Okay. And then Columbus, which is a little larger airport, it's about two and a half hours north. What can guys expect as far as, you know, numbers of deer they see a day? I'm sure it varies, but you know, what's kind of a general rule of thumb? Yeah, it all varies. Um, you know, usually seeing anywhere from, 
on a hunt, you know, if they're sitting the whole day, it's obviously going to change a little bit. If they're hunting morning, coming in for lunch, hunting the evening, I would say 10 to 30 deer on a hunt. Do you, do you encourage guys to sit all day or does it just depend on conditions? And if so, what are those conditions? <clears throat> so once we come into the rut and those bucks are really chasing, I would always encourage someone to sit um, as long as possible. You know, me personally, I killed my deer last year at 1.30 in the afternoon. It could happen at any time, any given circumstance there. Once you come into that pre-rut rut stage, those deer are searching and they're gonna stay on their toes until they find that hot doe that they're looking for. What kind of quality bucks have you guys seen in years past in your area? Uh, there's been a lot of big deer killed. Um, one of our, our buddies, Shane, one of the owners, he killed a 176 last year. Um, which is a big deer. You know, there's a lot of big deer in the area. What county is it in again? Lawrence County. That's one of the better counties in the country, isn't it? Yeah, uh, the county just to the back to the west has some of the biggest deer. Lawrence is top five in the state. How did you run across that area? That's where my family's all from. Gotcha. So guys, as we've been talking here, I've had multiple fish um, chase my streamer. I had one hit it pretty darn good, but I just wasn't able to wasn't able to get her done. And what have you been doing? A little maintenance up there, Justin? Been, yeah, I, uh, I broke <laughs> off on a rock back there. How close are you to ready? Ready. This right side. Right on that seam. Yep. Cast up again, Justin. About five more foot. That worked. I noticed today we've done actually quite a bit of fishing in the middle of the, in the middle of the river. Talk about like where two currents come together, where they create these seam lines. Why that's important that people kind of focus on those areas. Yeah, especially in this higher water. Um, you know, them fish they don't want to work as hard as possible to feed. And like this spot we're crossing right now, we're crossing behind an island. There's two different large seams coming down together there's going to be bugs coming off both of those and then there's slow spot in the middle of the river where the island has created that slow spot so those fish can kind of chill out in that slower water and gorge themselves off all the bugs coming off both the seams crashing together there nice he is fish, buddy nice fish rainbow no brown He's jumping like a rainbow he was right on that seam you were talking about wasn't he yes he was on the stonefly again. His rainbow. rainbow. Nice fish, buddy. Good fish. So as we were drifting, um, Justin was just working right down where those two current lines met. Just kind of created a little bit of a seam, a little bit of a bubble line, and that fish was just right there. Well done. Should I go back left or you want me out? Yeah, let's go left here. Thanks, buddy. Right off this point to your left. I'm seeing caddis bounce right there on the water. Is this portion of the river known for like you know, those late evening power hour type caddis hatches where you can really just, you know, pick fish off one after the other or not really? Uh, not so much one after another, but it does get good. Right before dark usually, that sun comes down, it gets a little cooler. 
It's amazing how much that pressure just kind of died off when we got past that one rapid section. Yeah. Fish on. Nice, buddy. Another one. Nice work, Justin. Brown trout. Got pretty quiet, didn't it? Yes, it did. Seemed like the wind kind of died, too. I swear, those little fish always leave you in a mess when you're done. A parting gift. <laughs> So Nate, you also do a fair bit of steelheading back home? Yeah. What other types of fishing do you do? Uh, pretty much all your freshwater species. Um, in the fall, we'll start out fishing salmon, kings, cohos. On we'll, Lake Michigan? Yep, tributaries that flow into Lake Michigan. And then as we get into October, usually about the first week, our first steelhead starts showing up and we'll start swinging flies for them on the Manistee River and Pier Marquette. And then as winter comes and we start getting ice, we start ice fishing for walleyes out on the Saginaw Bay and Lake Huron. How far is that from your house? About 40 minutes. So you got all kinds of water where you're from. Yeah. Big variety. You fish all sorts of tackle? Yeah. Fly fish, throw gear. We'll troll for them on the big lakes, running downriggers, dipsies. And... Do you have any muskie in that country? Yeah, actually, um, some of the best muskie fishing's 15 minutes from my house. You get into that quite a bit? I used to a lot more. Recently, I haven't been as much. In the spring, I do a little bit. In the fall, I try to as much as I can when I'm not hunting. What's the biggest muskie you've caught? 44. Oh, wow. Inches, not pounds. <laughs> no, it was they're amazing fish, huh? Yeah, they are. When it's good, it's good. Um, you know, the the aggressive boat side eat. That's kind of what we chase them for. I see on TV when they get close to the boat and they're following it, they do like a figure eight. Yep. Is that legitimate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can think of two fish that I've caught on the figure eight uh, on a fly right at the boat. I probably had two foot of line outside my eyes. Really? It's a real s subtle eat, right? <laughs> yeah, it's subtle. <laughs> <laughs> they hammer it, right? They hammer it. Over there on that bank, that's caddis that I'm seeing bouncing around every once in a while, right? Yep. There's a couple starting to come off. Justin, I'm going to get you into this recirculator over here on the right. We're going to recircuit a couple times. There's a fish eating them in a merger up there. See if we can find us a nose in here. Just get right on that edge. Back here to the left. Where the water's just merrily moving downstream here. Right about this line right here. What do you see? Uh, just watching for bugs. 
So the caddis that you'll see tonight, are those caddis that are hatching out of the water now? Or are they the ones that have been up on the bank and are coming back to lay their eggs? What we see coming out of the trees, and these ones touching the waters, are the ones that have already been hatched and are coming back out to lay their eggs. And they'll start bouncing off the water tonight, laying their eggs. And then do they just die pretty much then? Yep. You know, you'll have some return um, if they don't ever really come off, touch the water maybe for another night. So the caddis that we see in the trees, um, they will stay, they'll hatch yesterday, they'll stay in the trees and it's a one day deal or is it a couple day or how does it work? Uh, I'm on the caddis, I think usually like 24 to 48 hours I believe. He's giving me the I don't know sign. <laughs> I don't know the exact time limit on them. But it's not like a week, it's it's a couple days. Correct, yes. Did I? Almost like they followed it and it's about to get out of the water and they then they kill it. Yeah, exactly. Do you guys fish Gore Creek at all? Yeah, I occasionally fish it. I don't guide it. Um, we do have some guides that do guide it and know it very well. You're Fish Gore Creek, Justin? Yeah. Um, awesome three weight water. Never what? fished it in this high of a flow. Mostly when I'm going down there, it's dry dropper stimulator something like that yeah Justin I know you guys uh, have some capability to do some private uh, water as far as ponds and lakes and creeks and such and then also you have a high country uh, fishing where you'd actually go horseback and do overnight and do all of that and you also have day trips right tell us about that yeah so you know we've got being in the valley here we've got folks that come in and everyone's looking to do something a little bit different um, from a private water standpoint uh, we have four properties here in the valley um, we have access to the headwaters of the Arkansas on a, on a private ranch there um, where we are fishing the headwaters of the Arkansas as well as the Lake Fork um, that property is managed for trophy trout. Um, it can be a great day uh, for both native browns and the and the managed trophy fish. Um, we have some still water options. Uh, great family option. Um, it's always fun for the kids. We take a we take a Polaris up there. It's about a five mile ride up the mountain, and we're in some high mountain lakes, um, fishing out of boats on three different ponds. And this year we actually teamed up. Uh, we used to offer horseback fly fishing, very popular, um, and we've teamed up with, with another outfitter and we're offering a unique uh, backcountry trip uh, that can be a one-day or a two-day overnight trip. Um, typical day is horsebacking up, about a two, one to two-hour horseback ride up to some of the high country lakes up there in the flat top wilderness. Um, and there our anglers are targeting uh, cutthroat and brook trout. Um, we do have access to some truly remarkable cutthroat fishing. Uh, a little farther back, those trips usually need an overnight need an overnight trip to to access them just because of the length. Um, but those there trips, he there he is. Oh. But those trips are all you know, like I said, they're all done on horseback. They're all up in the flat tops wilderness, um, and they're a. Uh, they're a fully customizable experience. You know, we usually sending the horse wrangler up with the fishing guide. Uh, we're cooking a, a streamside lunch, a hot streamside lunch. Um, really so, I mean, it's the full. It's the full experience. It's the full experience. Yep. 
it's been it's been met very well um, all of our clients that go on that have said it's been the the true Western experience they've looked for and looking forward to do it next year um, we're also fortunate to have private water as well down in the front range um, that we have a uh, the boxwood gulch uh, it's gained some notoriety around amongst the front range fishermen and we're probably doing about three trips a week down at Boxwood Gulch. You guys both like to elk hunt. I know you've both, we've talked about it today. Here, seems, like, seems like both of you really like getting out there. I know Justin, you've got a Unit 8 uh, Arizona tag. Uh, this year that is correct yeah I've got a very fortunate this year I'm gonna looks like I'm gonna be out chasing elk three out of the four weeks here in September awesome should be a heck of a year you know as much feed as we had as we have you know the animals should be feeling good I'm, I'm expecting good rutting bugling I'd be very shocked if it wasn't you know a pretty darn good year Guys, I want to take a quick second to thank the sponsors of my podcast. I want to thank, first and foremost, GoHunt.com. Remind you that right now there is a 30-day trial, free trial, going on. All you have to do is go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and follow the prompts. You can sign up for the GoHunt Insider. That's going to give you full access to the Insider, so you're going to be able to look at all the draw odds, harvest statistics for all the states, all the different animals. Uh, you're going to be able to read the strategy articles uh, for the past uh, several years on the different units and states and get an idea uh, on the value that the Go Hunt Insider brings. Uh, I also want to thank the Go Hunt Gear Shop, uh, Cody Nelson and his crew. Cody's the optics manager there at the GoHunt.com Gear Shop. And if you have any optical needs at all, you can give him a call at 702-847-8747. He's extension two. He hasn't quite worked his way up to extension one yet. Uh, you can also send him an email at optics at gohunt.com. If you have any glassing needs at all, optics, tripods, if you just want to talk glassing, talk spotting scopes, rifle scopes, give Cody a ring, tell him I sent you. Also, don't forget to be entered into, ask to be entered into the drawing. Uh, it's a $1,000 gift card for the month of J July. All you have to do is purchase something from the gear shop, either by phone or off the website, and enter the code JSCOT19. You're going to be entered into that $1,000 drawing. Uh, I was able to call Ed Foster of Yuma, Arizona, uh, the other day and let him know that he was the winner of the thousand uh, dollar go, go hunt gift, gift card and He was ecstatic and he, he had already purchased some stuff whether you spend twelve dollars or thirty five hundred dollars uh, You're entered into the drawing dollar for dollar entry uh, for the drawing. So if you spend $27, you get 27 entries. If you spend $2,000, you get 2,000 uh, entries. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. You can go to my Instagram account and see uh, a different reviews and such. I try and answer as many questions as I can about all the different Kuyu gear. Go to kuyu.com, K-U-I-U.com. That's Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. I want to thank them. Also, phonescope.com. If you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, I've been using Phonescope for many years. That's what I do all my digiscoping with, uh, with my spotting scope and with my iPhone X. And then last but not least, onxmaps.com. Uh, if you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount. Onyx is something I use hunting, fishing. I love the uh, private uh, public over, uh, overlay uh, showing the ownership. I love the uh, aerial and topo map. 
Uh, I love the tracker, the breadcrumb feature. It's just a great app. And if you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount. We're floating down this left bank. Uh, we're stripping streamers. Uh, Justin switched his indicator rig, and now he's stripping a streamer as well. And uh, we've got some paddle boarders that have come up behind us, if, if you hear them in the distance. But other than that, it's been a relatively quiet afternoon. No one's hardly on this stretch at all.